should maybe rebrand quick hits as garbage hits. <laughs> Good. I was I was hoping the pronunciation of that word would be clear. Or or quick garbage. That might be more appropriate. <laughs> that that could be the basis of a podcast where we just people would hate us. We just complain about stuff. <laughs> like that That is the podcast. What do you mean? <laughs> 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 I read on EthanSwan.com the review of Witcher 3. <laughs> Good. And I really enjoyed it. Like, I think it was informative. But the best part is when you define what the acronym RPG stands for, for the noobs out there. <laughs> <laughs> if this makes sound to the podcast, everyone check out EthanSwan.com. Well, I assume everybody's already checking out that's, EthanSwan.com. That's true. It's my homepage. I don't know if it's yours. <laughs> There's a chance that I could recognize more members of the Lakers roster than I could, like, Hollywood resident actors. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would know. Because, like... Probably like, eight of the Lakers I'm roster. Think, I'm, you... Hold on. No no way. You you could name more... Not name, but would recognize No, no, not street. name. Re- Sorry, you could recognize more people of the Lakers roster? Not than actors. Than actors who live in L.A. Because I'm sure not all of them. I think even than actors. Mm. Because for one thing, the Lakers roster is taller than the actors. And you'll see them a lot easier. <laughs> okay, but is this in the context... Uh, no, I still... There, there's no... Like, than actors... Like, Okay, this is, this is what you need to do, Matt. You need to... We need to get a list. What, this is homework for you when you move to L.A. Get a list of, like, actors who live in L.A. And then, no, just get just write down everybody you see and see if there's more Lakers oh, yeah. players or actors. Well, well, no, no, but that's that, no, it'll be more Lakers good, players. I bet. No, but that's not a good example because Why? it's not about the people you run into. It's about people you're capable of recognizing. And Lakers players spend half the year on the road. Plus, I won't. I, like, they're probably closer okay. to LA then. But like Reese Witherspoon, Howie Berry, George Clooney, Ellen DeGeneres, I Leonardo not, DiCaprio, I Jennifer Lopez. I just I would not that. recognize. Uh, I would recognize Clooney and. Reese Witherspoon. You would, uh, you I would know who they are. I think you would recognize, recognize Clooney. I'd be amazed. Leonardo DiCaprio. I can't. I'd I, I know. Who, yes, I would recognize Leo, but I can't pull an image in my head of George Clooney, whereas I can of Mo Vada. I Johnny Depp. I don't even know what Johnny Depp looks like as a regular person. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Does he look like Jack Sparrow? <laughs> yeah. Does he wear those hats all the time? I'd recognize Jack Sparrow. All right. Here's some more. Christian Bale, Denzel Washington. Jennifer Aniston. You I guys could recognize. Them. I actually would not know any of them except Jennifer Aniston. I wouldn't. You wouldn't I wouldn't recognize be, Denzel. I'd probably recognize Denzel Washington. I would he see him and I'd be like, I think that could be Denzel Washington, but there's right. a good chance it's not. Two more: Brad Pitt and Jack Nicholson. You could definitely recognize. Them. I would never know Jack Nicholson. I might know like, Brad. Pitt. What Have you not Jack... seen like a Jack Nicholson movie, like The Departed? No. Like the he's only no. at Lakers games and he always has sunglasses on. I can't see right. his face. Why would I watch Two a more. movie called The Departed? It sounds. <laughs> yeah. Wait, The Departed is incredible, by the way. You definitely need to see that movie. I'm not going to. But... Okay. An- Angelina Jolie or Orlando okay, Bloom or Ashton Kutcher or My- Mila Kunis. I, I would that probably would... recognize all of those. All of them except Emma Stone. Kutcher, I would recognize. I don't think I would an, be confident. She's an easy A, so shout Gen- out to Jennifer Lawrence. These are, these are a ton of people that are Jennifer like. Jennifer Lawrence, I don't think I would, honestly. But even with, even with that would... number of, that I read, that was like. But also my case is a little bit different because I would see most of them and they would be wearing like sunglasses or a hat because they're not there to be recognized. And at best, I would be like 70% sure it was them. On the other hand, if I saw Kyle Kuzma, I'd be like, that's There's Kyle no Kuzma. There's no doubt that that's JaVale <laughs> <Yeah>. McGee. 
So, uh, but for for eight players, you think you could you could identify rather than being like, oh, it's probably a Lakers player because he's well, really no, no. tall Several and athletic. Things. One, there's a chance that I can recognize more than eight players on the roster. It's by around. How many do you think you can get? Because let's let's go through. So we definitely okay. know Tyson, LeBron, LeBron, Lonzo, Ingram, uh, Kuzma, Lance Stevenson. You do the count. Stevenson. Oh shit! I can't count. Uh, so we're at five. We're at five. Let's just remember we're at five. Okay. Uh, Javale. Okay. Tyson Chandler. You already said Tyson Chandler. <laughs> six. We're yeah. still at six. Okay. Um, JaVale. I would recognize Josh Hart. Yeah, Josh Hart. Okay, seven. Um, I've definitely seen Rajan him. Rondo. Who's, who's the big white guy? Zubac? Zubac? There's Zubac and there's Mo Wagner. I don't know Mo Wagner, but definitely I'm up to eight that I would know. And then Rondo, I said. Oh, nine. I'm at nine. I think I might be stuck at nine, but I would definitely KCP. see. KCP. What's that? I might not recognize I might not recognize I wouldn't recognize KCP. KCP. Yeah, but there's nine people that I would see, and I would know with certainty it was them. And then if we count the Clippers, then yeah, like definitely. Well, yeah, and no we would contact. definitely know Luke Walton because he's like six eight. That would be easy. Yeah, Luke Walton's six eight. Yeah, he played. He was Why drafted. He, like, he drafted the same year as LeBron. Yeah, on, <laughs> That's and, and on Lakers. I think he was like six five though. I don't know. Okay, maybe I'm overestimating, but I thought he was about six eight. I don't want this to slip by in conversation here. The fact that The Departed is like an incredibly great <laughs> movie and you should definitely see it. Like, definitely it's not. not like, have you seen it, Ethan? No. Okay, <laughs> well, it's it's got it's got Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg. Wait, wait, I, I wanted to throw out a couple a couple uh, pod ideas. Two, or okay, one pod idea, one article idea. One pod idea was this would take some research but so there's i was gonna bring this up as a quick hit and i thought it was way too in depth but like there's this idea that machine learning is helping um machines sort of learn in the same fashion that the human brain does yeah totally right like that is yes okay thank you yeah okay that was <laughs> gonna be the big we're done <laughs> maybe, maybe there's not enough material maybe that's it but that was gonna be kind of like the base like we dig into like what does machine learning actually involve what does human learning involve not that anyone knows yeah and, that's the problem that's what happened with neural yeah. nets right my understanding is that people made the machine neural nets thinking that that was the way human brains work but then we found that that's not how human brains work but right. it works really well for like machine learning right yeah um, so just in case this ends up not becoming a pod and this is a standalone piece of banter the moral of the story is that the human brain doesn't train on millions and millions of learning points the way a machine does and therefore well, it kind of does actually but it's just not i mean the underlying process is very different but it does train on tons uh, of data. yes but it's also capable of learning from much smaller samples i don't actually agree with that i have heard that point made and i think that's kind of wrong almost every case where people think that humans are learning from less data than machines they're ignoring the fact that humans have spent their whole life learning about how the world works the whole life is the training data yes that's true but i think there. are okay i mean i think there's some situations where you're presented with something that's new and i mean you can know it in like you can know it by its differences from other things you know but like if you've never seen a plane before i think you could recognize planes after seeing one of them yeah but i think that's partly because if you have seen the sky many times and you've seen the sky without planes and then all of a sudden you see the sky with planes like i just think you're drawing from like right, a yeah, machine yeah, yeah, learning yeah. algorithm would I, also be able to say the sky is not the way it usually is right now that, that's true that's and true. like you've seen wings and you've seen birds and i think i think people underestimate how much you're drawing from experience well my uh two points that i could potentially start with are either 
aliens or I feel like I should start with aliens. Yes. Let's just start with aliens. I like that. Okay. Should we roll right in? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. With that, welcome to Quick Hits. I'm Ethan. I'm here with Fernando and Matt, and uh, we're gonna complain slash discuss today. And I think Fernando's gonna start us off by aliens. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna complain about aliens. So <clears throat> my issue is with all this coverage about possible hints of extraterrestrial life. Like, I don't have an issue with the fact that we discussed that. I think it's a cool discussion to have. But one of the most common things is like, oh, this planet might have water. Or it may have an Earth-like atmosphere. And therefore, probably more conducive to life. Just a generally very poor line of reasoning. Because the reason that the conditions on Earth are suitable for life is because life adapted to the conditions on earth like i think and i think that's normally the reasoning that's used uh oh certain qualities of the atmosphere the presence of water that's what's conducive to life when really it's the other way around i think in the general sense it's a little different with water because water has some unique properties that make it useful for facilitating all the chemistry that is involved (laughs) in chemistry Yeah, in a lot of chemistry that could make life possible. But the idea that to search for life, we should search for elements in other, not literally elements, but conditions that are similar in some ways to what we see here, totally flawed reasoning. What do you guys think? I I, I understand what you're saying, that that, uh, life adapts to its environment, but I can't think of really why you would increase the likelihood of finding life by not focusing on the conditions where we can see life existing and we haven't seen life existing in other conditions yeah so this this reminds me of something that i read about recently where actually i think it was a podcast in all probability it was probably a podcast um where this guy was talking about how the only parts of dinosaurs that we can still observe are their bone structure basically like the only things we know about dinosaurs are the parts of them that fossilized and so we don't know anything about like the actual flesh on the dinosaurs. And so they might have had like weird scales, or they might have had like some kind of like fluid sacs on some. Yeah, they could have had like any kinds they of gross the... things. What did you say? They had feathers. Everyone knows that. Yeah, they, well, they could have had feathers, but all these things that wouldn't fossilize. And so this guy was saying that like we should assume that they had some of these weird things and just like draw them on randomly in dinosaur illustrations and i was like no that doesn't make any sense like we we should only assume the things they actually had because it only gets harder to guess you know if you're going to choose one of those features you have like a one in a thousand chance of getting it right like surely the most probable single outcome is that they had none of the features even if that isn't like more likely than not it's certainly more likely than the the idea that they had like like scales here and feathers here and like some kind of extra skin here like that that particular thing is not i agree i see what you're saying and i agree overall but i i think it's generally accepted that dinosaurs had feathers uh i don't think so but this is Uh, this is a (laughs) fact-based argument and so it really has no place here (laughs) okay but i will say that if we just drew and like stuck them randomly on dinosaurs People would have a greater appreciation, I think, for what we know to be true about dinosaurs, which is this fossilized structure, and what um, is just kind of projected, which is this kind of external epidermis. (laughs) 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 I just thought that'd be a good word to use. So are you arguing that we should, like, we should parody our own knowledge by pointing out how bad we are at guessing what dinosaurs look like? 
if we if we did if we parodied it we wouldn't be sitting here talking about how oh like they, there would be no podcast that's pointing out the fact that we don't actually know a whole lot about dinosaurs it would be like clearly we don't know a whole lot about dinosaurs yeah except people look would at the actually know even dropped. less about dinosaurs because some some dumb people would think they actually did have those features possibly but it would really uh fight against overconfidence here and, uh, <laughs> and, and you know I, I think it'd be worth investigating well that is hard <laughs> to argue with erase the history books they're making us think we know too much about history <laughs> forget exactly. everything you know hey history is written by the victor yeah and dinosaurs are not the victors all right <laughs> there's also like some common sense like th- yeah they could have had like i don't know random fluid filled like their hearts could have been on the exterior of their bodies or whatever, but like, yeah. you have to look at it from the evolutionary point of view where it's like, uh, it seems, A, seems rather disadvantageous to have your vital organs on your exterior, and two, like, look at what's descended from them. Wait, but and... you have just made my point for me, Fernando, because this is yeah, where no, I was I'm, going I'm to segue back. You. No, oh, but this okay. is where I was going to segue back to the planets thing, because... The only evidence we have is that life seems to have worked out under these conditions. And so each of these individual conditions makes it more likely. Okay, hang on, hang on. One, one la- I need to make one last point. We should... The only living descendant of the dinosaurs is the Loch Ness Monster. I think we should base most of our understanding of dinosaurs on Nessie. Okay. Last point on dinosaurs. <laughs> Thanks for making that clear. <laughs> anyway, all, the only data we have is that life has succeeded on Earth. We have no other cases where we know of it succeeding. And so it seems reasonable, rather than just say, like, it's equally probable for life to prop up, to crop up anywhere, to say that, like, the closer the conditions are to Earth, the more likely it is that life will okay. exist. So in terms of, you're right, like, in terms of overall conditions, I think there's, yeah, kind of thinking of that evolutionary, like, what makes sense for survival in a world with, like, no atmosphere and it's constantly almost, like, absolute zero the temperature or in a world that's heated to thousands of degrees because it's close to a star yes life is less likely because it's just less forgiving for different complex chemistries but in terms of for very specific things and another example is like oh this has the elements that make up dna so there's a greater possibility that the elements combine to make molecules of dna yeah, but it, it doesn't have to be but it increases the likelihood because we know that those materials can form a complex genetic material and we don't know that that's possible with like iron we have no evidence that's even possible it might be but we don't know and so like finding those materials does increase the probability i, I don't think we should like rule out the other planets but you know that's the that's the best guess we have i think it's actually pretty rational i guess that's that's true i think that Maybe what I really object to is the conclusion of finding the same stuff that we find here as being a significant, um, being a significant factor in making a place less or more likely to harbor extraterrestrial life. I think there's some very broad things, like preferably not a planet at 10,000 degrees Celsius, but in terms of looking for specific things, I don't think those are good indicators of life. Like, yeah. I think they are good indicators of a higher probability because we know we know that under certain circumstances like ours, it's possible for life to evolve. And it's possible that under radically different ones in any dimension, it's impossible. It seems actually like a pretty good probabilistic estimate. I think that that uh, 
that for quick hits, we need to insert, you know that meme that's like the guy is sitting like on a sidewalk and he's got a table and he's like sitting back oh, yeah. and he's holding a coffee yeah, cup I, I and hate it's that like meme, something outlandish and it just says, prove me wrong. <laughs> and like, that's what I feel like quick hits should, should have that picture, which is, yeah, which is, or we, we shouldn't look where at uh, environments where life has flourished before. Prove me wrong. <laughs> like, that's what I feel like this is here. <laughs> yeah, this is my hot take. Or or it could be the Velociraptor. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. We actually, I think we have the ability to epi- to insert um, like cover photos for each episode. So maybe that'll be this one. Retro, but I think uh, so. The last point is I'm gonna say is I don't think that I I do see what you're saying where it's a good starting point or a good way to like narrow down looking at this planet versus looking at the millions of other planets. But I don't think it actually changes the. I don't think we know enough to say that it changes the probability of life flourishing there because our experience is too limited. I think it it does help narrow things down and is a useful place, could be a useful place for us to start or to narrow our search. But if you were to try to put like a number on the possibility of life being there or not, which is just an impossible exercise in general, I don't think it really, I don't think we can take our tiny individual experience relative to the cosmos and use that i think it's such a small uh, influence on the overall it's a, even even if that's true though even if the the change in probability is infinitesimal is that how you pronounce that word i've never said it before until now infinitesimal so, i believe infinitesimal oh thank you ethan uh but infinitesimal <laughs> that's not what ethan said i believe you pronounce it alexander schulznitzen schulznitzen <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but even – I mean it still in- increases the probability ever so slightly. So if you're going to maximize the probability of, of life being there. I don't know. I I see what you're saying, but it still seems like the best of a lot of really poor options in terms of finding – yeah. I'm with Matt on that. Okay, and and I think that's true. If if it's a infinitesimal um, <laughs> increase in probability, like we should still use that to narrow our search because otherwise we'd just be looking at every single planet in the universe. So that's true, but – to act and write about it as if it is a significant change in the probability, I think is inaccurate. Okay. I think you've convinced me. Wait, Ethan. Ethan, can you say inf- in infinitesimal again? Or however you say it? I, I mean, I don't want to be like the keeper of the pronunciation okay. guide. But I think it's infinitesimal. Infinitesimal. Okay, well, th- this is going to segue into the second quick hit then that I've just thought of right now, which is like English is the worst in that like something like infinite and then however – I can't even say it. However, Ethan said that last word and then finite are all three different pronunciations of the same root word with just varying meanings. You are right. Uh, and that's yeah. annoying. And that's that's all I have to say on that. But That's true. And I think it's quite established that English pronunciation is just crazy. That being said, I'm sure there are a lot of other languages that have like – I know some languages tend to be pretty consistent, but especially with local variations in pronunciation, like y'all and yins and such, like, I think there's always, in almost any language, if you know enough, I'm sure you could find cases that are, there are a lot in English, though. There are, there are, and I feel like I've ranted about this before, so it's not a really great talking point, I just wanted to feed it in there because it was available, but, Ethan, do you have another quick hit? (laughs) well no actually i was just thinking about what you said with uh english being so hard to pronounce but i've always wondered like if you're in a language where you have symbols for words and not for letters right so there's no there's no phonics in a language like chinese or japanese right because 
if you don't know the character, you can't even begin to know how to say it. Unless, unless I greatly misunderstand how these character systems work. Like, if I see a new character that actually means bird, and I don't, I don't know the character for bird, like, I can't even sound it out. I can't even express to somebody, like, the word I don't know. I can't be like, I just saw this new word, infinitesimal. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, like, try to communicate it by reading it. What do you even do there? That you is s- a good point. I, I don't know how you that, would even, like, I, look it up. I, I, like, don't know enough about, like, you know, Eastern like tonal languages, but I wonder if they have like a common, um, you know, a common almost. It, it's not an alphabet, but uh, you know, a common like common base structure to how you pronounce syllables in the way. I think it's like the Phoenician alpha, alphabet is, pro- I think, what was originally behind yeah, the development phonics, of like yeah. Latin and then Romance languages, so that you can, you know, that you can read a Spanish word and have a decent guess at maybe what it's what it's saying. But I I, I honestly have no idea whether that there's kind of an underlying. Um, indication in certain forms. Audio. Yeah, that, that might indicate how you say yeah. something. Who knows? Yeah, I've made a huge mistake by turning us back into potentially a discussion that actually has facts behind it that we just don't know. <laughs> See, I tried to I tried to keep it going, but you know, I am not opposed to uh, syntax where we talk about things that we don't know and haven't researched, <laughs> even though we could and haven't researched. <laughs> I'll have you, uh, you know, listeners. You should you should note that um, the last podcast was very structured and informative. Uh, and I was not on it, uh, and then this podcast <laughs> is less so, and I predict it, it won't get any more structured, uh, maybe probably not too much more informative, uh, and we talked about causation and correlation, and if you paid attention last time, you know, you can come to your own conclusions on that. Uh, oh, good. Thanks for that intro. All right, so here's here's my quick hits, and this is the rare quick hits where I am not complaining about something, but I'm actually like very in favor of it i already dislike it well i guess you could frame it as a complaint because like why haven't we been doing this before this is a thing that should be happening all the time so i have recently discovered a youtube channel actually let me back up i am not generally a person who watches youtube videos but i don't know like what other people do while they're in the shower because it's so boring like a lot of people just like stand in the shower and like waste five minutes and get out but i am not going to take a shower unless i have some content to consume which is basically like podcast or youtube videos or sometimes tv shows but i'm trying not to get hooked on a new tv show so i was exploring for like good youtube videos that i would enjoy that are like roughly a five to ten minute length so they fill the shower time and i found girlfriend reviews which are video game reviews by it's the same i think she's like a woman in her 20s that uh reviews video games but not from the perspective of like is the game good she explains the beginning every time this isn't a review of bioshock this is a review of what it's like to live with someone who plays Bioshock. And I think this this idea is so good. And so she talks about all the annoying things that happen when your boyfriend is playing Bioshock every day and all the stupid comments he makes and all the new jokes that he picks up that you don't understand. And like you having to sit in the living room while he plays <laughs> the game and watch him shoot things and him like tell you what an interesting plot it is and you just roll your eyes at him. I love this idea. It's so good. Like how have we not had this before? And I think that this can be extended like so many other things like Yes, what it's like yes. to be friends with someone who saw Inception. Like, shut up about Inception already. We've heard it enough. I know you think Inception is good. And it still doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, why are we not having reviews of what it's like to deal with people who do things? It's so, so much more useful than actual reviews of the content. That is a great point. Yeah, what was her conclusion? Was there, like, a particularly, like, really awful, uh, awful one? Uh, No, it's funny because she she's actually, like a little bit more positive about it than I would expect, or maybe than I would hope. She really likes Zelda, but um, she 
she does get really annoyed with when her boyfriend picks up sayings the video game characters have because if you've ever played like an action game you know your character often speaks sort of randomly throughout the game to make them seem more human so he'll be like i need to find more coins or something you know like your character <laughs> just like says things as you're walking around the city and so she's always complaining about the things that the character starts saying a lot and then her boyfriend starts saying them <laughs> So an example, I've never played the game, but in the new God of War, you're this like big warrior who's always running around doing stuff. And I guess there's this kid that follows you around. I don't know why. And so randomly throughout the game, the main character just goes, boy, boy, <laughs> and just yells at the guy <laughs> to follow him. And so then her boyfriend started just yelling, boy, boy, <laughs> around the house, <laughs> which apparently really bothered her. Wait, is that is that normal to um, start picking up mannerisms from your characters in video games? I I didn't think that was maybe like it's a subconscious, and I've been doing it. Boy, I mean, back in the day, I feel like I deliberately tried to avoid saying anything that John Madden said. So <laughs> I do think of like back in the Assassin's Creed days, I was definitely like practicing the moves a lot, like the swim move to get through crowds <laughs> in high school. Anytime it was crowd in the hallways, swim move. I was moving through that crowd so fast and so stealthily. <laughs> jumping jumping off tall buildings <laughs> yeah there was also the thing you could do in assassin's creed to blend in which was literally just nod your head and fold your hands and everyone thought you were a monk <laughs> yeah so i would so, pull that sometimes too no one would see me I, i'm curious i'm curious what her reviews on assassin's creed are because to me very biased i don't play a lot of video games but assassin's creed is like almost definitely the best action video game like i think that's how many how many action video games have you played I mean, over time, like, including PC games quite a bit. Not a lot on consoles, to be fair. But the... So, there's not a ton of, like, loud, crazy combat. It's not, like, Call of Duty where it's gunfire the whole time. So, if it's something that you have to listen to going on in the background of your house, there's a lot of, like, thematic music and, like, noises of crowds and just, like, people. So, I feel like that's a more pleasant thing to have playing in your house very visually appealing and the it's the kind of thing where if you want to just like jump in take the controller from your boyfriend and like climb some buildings for a while it can be fun and if your boyfriend starts picking up the sayings hopefully he says any everything in a fake italian accent which would be so entertaining yeah. <laughs> oh i was just gonna ask if uh w w w was fortnite included in those reviews not yet but i i hope it does come up because i think that would be a really good one I think so too. Uh, you know, I just think of like UMBC, the basketball player after UMBC beat Virginia last year, and they asked him what it felt like. And he <laughs> said it was just like his first win in Fortnite, which is just hilarious. Did he say that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, it's just man. so funny. Yeah. I didn't so know that. So it's really made its way into the uh, firmly outside of the video gaming world. So I'd be curious on that one. Yeah, I think back, like the only thing you could pick up from Assassin's Creed was every time you murdered someone. You would go into this cutscene where you like laid them to rest very gently. Yeah. yeah, and you'd close the eyes and be like, requiesque un pace. I think it meant rest yeah. in peace. I don't know what it, I don't even know the actual Italian, but that's like <laughs> the only thing that would ever happen that your character would talk for. So true. I'm gonna start saying that at work all the time. Actually, when I start playing basketball with people and actually like dunking on them, I'm gonna be like, requiesque un pace. <laughs> is that is that something that, that you've been doing even? Well, uh, not recently. On people? Recently I've been taking a break. Hey, future things that need to be expounded on on Syntact is Matt still needs to explain to me how you dunk on someone on Twitter. Oh, that's oh, keep up. You need you need some more pop culture in your life. <laughs> Twitter's all about Seriously, the dunks. 
just just go look at AOC's Twitter, <laughs> and she does a good job dunking on people. That it's is true. actually kind of true. Well, I'll uh, I'll throw out a, a quick hit then, since we uh, you know seem to be ready for another one. Um, so okay, so I've been reading, I've been reading Andre Agassi's autobiography, and it's super interesting and really good. Uh, that is so random. It is really what? random. Uh, but I I've been told before that it's really good, and particularly that he just talks about how much he hates tennis throughout it, and so and has always hated tennis. So that was kind of my hook of like, okay, you know, if someone. You know, that, that's like a very interesting perspective from someone who's played tennis his entire life. And it seems to me... Wait, just in case people don't know who Andre Agassi is, he didn't just like play tennis his entire life <laughs> as a side game. Like he was a professional You're tennis right. player who's very famous. Yeah. Yeah, really famous. And it's weird reading reading an autobiography of someone that I just kind of know nothing about. Um, I really, you know, I knew he was a famous tennis player. I think he wore but, a wig, know, right? Wasn't that his famous thing? He he had a hairpiece up until because he was losing his hair up until he was maybe like twenty six and then he shaved it all off. Uh, he shaved the hairpiece. Well, it was like I, I don't know how hairpieces work, but it was attached to like his regular hair. Is oh, that really? I don't know either. Because it wasn't that he was completely bald and the hairpiece on. It was that he was losing his hair and so he attached a hairpiece oh. to his existing. So hair he had to shave before it. shaving it all off. To be thorough. But um, you know, one thing I was thinking about in reading this book and it, it's 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 pretty difficult too because. You know, it's just like he was hitting twenty five thousand balls a day as a seven year old, and it's and it's like you know real rough the way his dad just forces him to play tennis. But that tennis seems to be outside of from a pure mental perspective the most sacrificial of sports. Like you could make, and I'd be curious your thoughts on like what you think would be the sports that require the most sacrifice to do because tennis seems incredibly lonely, um, incredibly isolating, a very strong mental game, and there are no strong cutoffs between when you're just like a normal kid and then you like go pro because you can get in the pro – you it, you're encouraged to get in the pro circuit as early as possible and you're playing against professionals and as long as you don't take the money, you're still considered an amateur and can like be enrolled in school. Um, so – yeah, that would be my question to you is what you guys think the most sacrificial sports are because it's something that like structurally seems like there's a lot of things that you could change about tennis, namely that like basketball or football where there are strong cutoffs like, okay, you can't even, you know, football, you can't even go from high school straight to the pros. You need like three years and it allows people to maintain a semblance of like normal childhood and developing like normal emotions where you also don't do an uh, isolated sport like tennis. You're not around like football players. Yes, yeah, I, I think. I think one of the things is I would, for the most sacrificial list, I would cross off any like team sport because I was going to say, the same I thing. think that just makes it, I think there's a number of reasons. So for one thing, you get the companionship of your teammates, even if you're in a lonely position, even if you're like a kicker or something, you get the companionship of your teammates and you're all like working towards the same thing. And also the structure of team sports means that mostly you need to be there with somebody else at the same time. And so like your practice time can't be infinite. There have to be boundaries on it. Even if you practice a lot, like there are some boundaries, but like there's no time you can stop thinking about tennis. There's no time you have to stop thinking about tennis. You can light the courts and you can go work out on your own and stuff. Yeah, it's like, it's it's honestly really tragic because even like basic, you know, emotional and, inter, you know, interpersonal interaction skills, like he just doesn't develop because he's not around. He drops out in ninth grade from from school and like never goes back. Uh, so I definitely think a team aspect uh, would be would be one that would cross everything off. Um, yeah. But, you know, part of the reason for bringing this up, too, is, you know, I just think, Ethan, you were a tennis champ back in the day. And so I felt like you I would was. have, you know, some <laughs> it's news to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> with with the funkiest serve of all time. Yeah. No, back back when Andre was hitting twenty five thousand balls a day, I was I was hitting about twenty five. <laughs> and at least at least twelve of them went over the net. <laughs> well, there's a there's what there's a part in the book where it talks about him playing a guy who has such an unconventional serve that it throws all these players <laughs> off because they're so used to like, you know, like having uh, yes. 130 mile hour serves that they're returning hard. And I and I've played Ethan in tennis several times, and there is no one I've ever played with who has a more <laughs> abnormal serve that works because it he does this like weird shimmy when he goes up. So I think I just dropped my racket and started laughing when you did it the first time, and then you like uh, slice the ball like really hard so it just dies over the net. It sounds uh, like yeah. he's trying to do so. his ping pong serve with a tennis. Yeah, strategy. and they call they call in the book they call this guy garbage man, and I was like, well, this is Ethan, garbage. Man. <laughs> that is so true. I just ran around a lot. I had no skills. I just ran a lot. It was pretty fast and had this serve that was so weird. People started laughing. Really effective. Um, I have. There's a listener comment that the best part of our podcast is Matt on Ethan. So I'm glad that <laughs> this has made its way into the podcast. Makes another appearance. Wow, I I'm surprised that. Uh that uh, you didn't share this information previously here <laughs> well that's because uh, when we were hanging out in person it was too much fun you man so oh that's fair <laughs> so nana just gangs up with one of us at the other's expense. hey <laughs> I appreciate that. except right now to be fair i think we have to take some shots at nando because he's walking around his kitchen during the podcast <laughs> and doing something with his arms which is exposed there's a giant hole in the armpit of his shirt <laughs> oh you're right i forgot about that and i went out I went shopping this shirt today. Totally oh, forgot man. about that. I don't podcast every day, but when I do, I also try to make pasta. Great. <laughs> I want to get back to the sports conversation, though, because I actually think um, running might have a claim for, like, the loneliest, saddest, most sacrificial sport because it's sheer conditioning. And so, like, the there's just no point that you can ever relax about it right like even the amount of time each day you spend sitting down versus standing up is, a, is like affects your running and like your diet at all times is close to the most important thing it's not like in football where like oh you know you gain five pounds or tennis you gain five pounds it's like that's not good being in shape is really helpful but like running being in shape is the is whole everything. game there's nothing else i can imagine that just like destroying your life mentally like almost like a disorder i think I thought about that. I would say that whatever the sport, the like most grueling thing to train on, I think it's going to be a sport where it's kind of like tennis, where there are little things that you need to drill endlessly. And like, at least with running, like, yeah, you're trying to increase your, like improve your posture and your form and stuff like that. But like, you know, the frustration when you just like take a foul shot and it's terrible and you just swear a bunch. And if you're a tennis player or, like, a golfer, that can be, like, every shot, you're like, shit, I could have done that a tiny bit better, a tiny bit better. And you don't, yeah. I don't think you necessarily have that constant, like, I don't know what it is, but that constant, like, thought that that execution was imperfect when you're running. Yeah. It's a reasonable point. On that point, I would say golf might, might be up there. Well, golf is the most grueling sport because you have to watch golf every day. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's true. The the tennis one that that really does echo with me to to your point, Nana too, and and part of this is a complete bias. I've never read a runner's autobiography or anything about running. I just don't think it would it's be because running that is so boring. Yeah, no one's gonna buy that book. People are really into those kinds of books, though. 
It sounds horrendous. No, they are. And I, I really will read them, uh, read one of them, because I am kind of curious. But the one thing that I think would be really unique to tennis is that point of, like, not only are you – like, in running, there's a goal, and you are, you know, pushing yourself towards that goal. And in tennis, you are the same, but there are so many other mental factors that go into playing a tennis game with people watching you. And, you know, like, he, he like, loses matches, and then the sports writers trash him, and they're like, he fell apart, he can't do this. And it is, like, such a mentally grueling game, I think, in ways that um, – that running probably isn't just because, you know, at a certain point, your body can't go any faster and it's a complete physical limitation from running. Um, and you don't see that in tennis as much. I mean, obviously there are physical limitations to what you can do. Uh, but this kind of like losing your mind based off of how people see you perform in clutch moments, I think is, is probably a little bit more unique to tennis than running. Yeah, but I mean that's way more extreme in the pro in like the big pro sports. Like in terms of being dissected by the media, there's really nothing worse than being a professional quarterback. Like you just the the level of scrutiny is so high. It depends on if we're going to include that stuff, right? Like if you're going to read the tweet replies to your your tweets and like if you're going to read all the coverage of yourself, you know, I think few things are worse than being a spotlight football player. Yeah, I'd also say like being a a goalie because like the fact that no one like in a high yeah. stakes game because no one really cares what you do until you blow blow it yeah that is true but but i think the difference that there is that in the heat of the moment neither a quarterback or a goalie is as susceptible to be thinking about those things probably than a tennis player who has a break in between every point and who doesn't have a mask and who doesn't have a team and all eyes are on him and he's going to serve that seems just harrowing to me yeah um and to think you know, to have the opportunity to think about all those kinds of thoughts every time you're supposed to step up and serve or return to serve or begin any kind of point, that seems a, a significant difference. Yeah, I that makes sense, actually. Yeah, I can get behind that. My cross-country coach in high school always said, now I'm going to get it wrong. He always said, like, the physically hardest sport is cross-country and the mentally hardest sport is tennis, I think. Which is funny because I did both and I was... I was never going to tell anybody that it was like making me mentally or physically better. <laughs> okay, so I, I have another quick thing. transition. New thing. Um, so smooth, baby. <laughs> anyway, um, let me just say that recipe apps are awful and like recipe websites are awful. And the reason I say this is like, I feel the same way about workout apps. I'm almost constrained by the fact that everybody who produces these uh these apps or websites want to give me too much content they're like let me yes. add on more features for you like let me show you recommendations and like a long story about the first time i made this this uh sweet potato chili with my grandmother man that sounds terrible um <laughs> but this is like sounds like someone who doesn't know how to make macaroni and cheese what the person reviewing it or me because yeah. me definitely yeah. <laughs> well in any way in any case um I don't want any stories about your food. I want zero stories about the food. I just want a recipe of the food and maybe a rating about it. And I want the page to start with the ingredients and then I want it to be step by step. But instead, invariably, every website I visit has 17 pictures of the food. Doesn't matter. I don't care what it looks like. And then a story about the first time this person made it and then the most recent time they made it and how it's a hearty meal, good for all occasions and like the good memories it brings back of their children and their children's children. And like, what are we doing here? Just tell me the recipe. And every website is like I this. have so many thoughts on this and I generally agree with everything except for I think there's value in one picture at the top because if you don't know what a dish is, like, like 
you, the name doesn't ring a bell for you. Like, it can give you a quick approximation. Like, okay, it looks like this thing has some tomatoes going on. Um, stuff like that. <laughs> okay. And yeah, okay, sure. two, I'll say I use Pepper Plate as a, like, to catalog all my recipes. And I really like it specific for that reason. Like, when I pull it up in the app. Wait, what is it? Because already I'm interested. Uh, it's pepperplate.com and they have a phone app, but they don't have recipes themselves. You can import recipes from other websites and they, uh, they reformat it or you can manually input them. But I when, I, when I pull it up on my phone, it is one screen. The ingredients are on the top. And as you scroll down, it goes down to the steps. Amazing. Like the only constraint, and I don't even know if there is a feature. I don't like them. I haven't really looked. The only constraint is if you've got like, raw meat on your hand you can't scroll down it, if it was voice activated it would be perfect um but i do agree with everything about the terrible design of like websites and stuff and i enjoy reading about food like i read a pretty cool article about the evolution of gumbo in the new york times and it had links to the recipes which is, that's how it should be. The recipe should be one page with no distracting content that I can use efficiently when I'm trying to cook. And if I want to read about the background or the history or whatever, that can be like an, its own article. Should not mix. And just in general, um, websites that have like very specific content for the user should have minimal other stuff that like makes the web page load longer. Like, you know, all these yeah, that's random the other thing, video right? players. So You'll be in the middle of trying to read the recipe and then like a refresh will get triggered for some reason yeah. to load seven new pictures of the the hot dog from different angles. <laughs> it's like I know what the hot dog looks like. Don't need more angles. This is like it's like a setup to a commercial. You know, someone's about to jump in and be like, that's why I created. <laughs> so we have shouted out uh, a recipe app and a YouTube channel. So if we don't have sponsors after this one, I don't know. what. We're... That's true. I know. And and I will one up this and also say that I only like have used one app, but I've used Mealline and it is pretty good. What's it called? And it Mealline, you just like go through and select pictures of things you want, and then it automatically like takes the ingredients and comprises or com, I don't that is composes a grocery that list is a good, of that all is of a the good ingredients, feature. and it, and it makes it really it's really easy, and then you just export that list, go buy the stuff, and the instructions are easy. Hmm. So sponsored by Mealline, <laughs> but not really. But not really, yeah. There's some cool features that recipe apps could have. There was a there's a mixology app, like for mixed drinks, where you can list stuff that you have and then it'll pull up cocktails that you can make with the stuff what? that you have on hand. My show notes that I'm writing down are just becoming a list of like things I <laughs> of, want. Of sponsors. <laughs> Need to look up Pipper Plate. Need to look up Meal Line. And so like that's a cool feature for um for a recipe app. Like I think it's useful to be able to pick a bunch of recipes that have ingredients in common but when you're just actually accessing the recipe to cook there should be nothing else like background features are fine but they should not interfere with the delivery of the recipe and here's the other thing though like you know all the time i find annoying interfaces where like um the app i use to track my running is it has some advertisements that come at inopportune times and stuff but i get that like i know that the point of the app is to make money for the people who made it. So there's going to be ads, but it's totally inexplicable why the recipe pages are so bad. It's not <laughs> advertising. It's just garbage. I don't know what's all on there. It doesn't need to be there. And it's not making anybody happier. Or it, garbage. It just makes it all the worse. <laughs> yes. It's all garbage. Anyway. And, yeah, and so I, since this was also in my 
quick hits now it's like my biggest pet peeve when i pull up a recipe website is where i'm scrolling scrolling i'm like where the hell is the recipe like what are the ingredients what do i, I do? know <laughs> that happens all the time so annoying Okay, I have a lot to check out now, and maybe maybe next time I'll come back and I'll just have a bunch of positive things to say about these other apps. Our next pod could be a Ethan reviews positive reviews his co-podcaster's recommendation. What I need to do is get a roommate and have them review what it's like to live with a person who uses the recipe app. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, time for one more, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, okay, I've got one. So, I have an issue with like how debating is framed in our culture and we had um in u.s history in high school we would have these debates where like we would there'd be a certain issue that happened you know 1800s america would be so boring and then each side would try to spin it a certain way and this is the wrong attitude towards like and i don't really know much about debate teams but i feel like they just have the wrong approach things like it should be the two teams should collaborate to find the truth this is like wait may i just pause you for one moment and <laughs> yeah. say that's the theme of the whole podcast i don't know much about x but i think they're doing it wrong <laughs> put that in the intro definitely um but the two teams should be collaborating to find the truth like if there are two scientists who have like competing theories about um anything this is why i say about like, everything like even religion, like it shouldn't be two people trying to prove that their point, trying to convince the other person. It's a victory if you agree at the end, regardless of which side you uh you end up on, or even if it's a totally new point, because the whole idea is that you're trying to figure out what the best way to understand something is. And I feel like debate is all about winning as opposed to like, I don't know. If I was debating and I was convinced, I'd be like, oh, you're right. Good job. Man, high school Matt would have so many – take so many issues with what you're trying to say. Why Why even argue if you're not trying to signal that you know more than someone else? <laughs> Obviously. Or, uh, just embarrass your little brother. Yo, Fernando, I think you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Full of shit. Oh, damn it. I should. Oh, well, <laughs> Whatever. Okay. It's now marked as explicit. I, I, will, uh, I will push back a little bit on this. So I – I'm not going to say I disagree with you because I actually mostly agree with you. Like framing everything as well, particularly in this case, I guess framing it as like each of you cannot back down from your side. You must stick with it to the bitter till the bitter end, regardless of the new evidence presented is obviously a horrible way to live your life. And many people do live this way. And like, it's actually the default human nature. I think you get more entrenched in your beliefs as people present you contrarian evidence. However, um, I think that there are many cases where people are under-equipped to defend their own views even when they find their own views convincing for some reason and they run up against someone who just happens to be really articulate and very skilled at manipulating the facts this happens all the time right and i actually think that sometimes this happens even in social groups where where one person is antagonizing someone else where they will make a preposterous claim but there are some people who are like good enough arguers that it's just fun for them. And they will defend a preposterous claim because they know they can outmaneuver the other person because the other person isn't very good at debating. And ultimately what it comes back to is like, you need to have debating skills. Um, you, the debating skills are actually really valuable. And the, I, would, I would hypothesize that we would be better off if everybody had pretty strong debating skills than like 
with a great inequality of arguing skills that we have right now. Because right now, the power just goes to people who are most convincing. And while it's correlated, it isn't that strongly correlated with who's right. You know, if we got everybody to develop stronger debating skills, then you would be able to better defend your position and perhaps try to convince others and at least present other people with I, I, evidence I, in an I, equal way. I see what you're saying, and I definitely agree that the inequality, as you call it, like, articulateness is an issue. But I, I don't think we should frame it as, like, we all need to improve our debating skills. I think we all need to improve our understanding of our beliefs and our ability to articulate them, but not necessarily in a – and I think that would help you defend it and you would – by extension, have better debating skills. But that's not the goal. The ability, the goal is to be able to articulate things better. I don't know. I think well, I think it is part of the goal. What were you going to say, Matt? I, I, I will say that I, I think that this is something that uh, people have, have recognized. And I don't typically see a lot of people engage in what are strictly debates anymore. Like you see conversations, you see disagreements, but these kind of like one versus the other side debates. I think a good example of this um, is there was a lot of conversation when uh, Ben Shapiro, you know, ha made some offer to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that he was going to debate her. And like no question, Ben Shapiro would would just in, in a debate style, like obliterate almost any non-debater. Like he's like a Harvard Law School graduate who's on like the debate team all through like high school and college. And I don't I don't think law school has a debate team. I don't really know. But it, it was no question that regardless of who what politician he was going to debate, he was going to like, quote unquote, win the debate. And it wouldn't prove anything about anyone's point. And I think there was a lot of public conversation around that issue. This is like a few months ago about what it means to have like good faith conversations. And I think one of the ways that uh, that we're correcting for uh, those situations where you just have a complete inequality and in debatability is that people are refusing and people feel more empowered to refuse to really respond to debates with people. And I generally don't see a whole lot of debates going on that are really true debates. I think some of the exceptions were like back when, you know, I think back when the kind of new age atheists like Dawkins and, and people like that were, were on the rise. Like, I think there were a lot more, like I, I saw a lot more of kind of this like religion versus non-religion like debate style. But other than that, it, it, it really kind of escapes me um, the role that that's had in the public sphere sphere well, when it comes to debates. true debating and not well, political, true. Political debates is an exception, but also political debates are like two people blowing hot air regardless. Like there's not, you know, like I, I don't think that. But they matter a those lot whole, and like the skills matter. Do they? Do do I think political do debates political do. debates matter a whole, whole lot? See, I think I would I would kind of contest uh, contest that, um, but would there's definitely data on that. And so I, I won't really have elaborate further than that. Uh, but from from outside of that, I, I can't think of really a role that debates play. Um, outside of political debates that get set up for candidates. I running. just think subtly debating skills matter a lot. I mean, you want to be able to defend your own side. And maybe maybe we're trapped in a game where, like, for any given person, they believe that their beliefs are correct. And so it makes sense to them to get better at debating so that their beliefs, which they think are correct, can be perpetuated. And so maybe if we, as a society, could, like, sign a truce and no one would get better at debating and would put their skills towards other things, that would be better in aggregate. Well, but no. Like, the no, optimal no. outcome for individuals is to be better at debating, to convince people of things. Uh, so I, I, I would say the people need to be more articulate so they can convince other people. But the optimal outcome, at least in some situations, is just to be also better at listening with an open mind because if you realize that you're wrong about something that's, like, objectively true or untrue you'll be better off when you 
accept that realization. And yeah, but that isn't true for people in positions of power. Like, I right? Wish but it's true of really life. True. Like, like that's true actually, of. I don't really agree with that. It should be like it. It would be great if that were the case. But in general, like people who don't back down are rewarded in a lot of sex- sectors of society. Yeah, I guess if, I think if it, purely in like a financial sense, it's like the more you can free yourself of biases, the better investor you're going to yeah. be. So, it is I'm true in like the economy you, yeah, and like yeah. rational parts. But the problem is that if you're in the public eye, you know, especially like pundits are rewarded for being as dumb as possible. Like they never back down on views and they just claim everything they say is is reasonable and it obviously isn't. But like that is actually the optimal so, outcome for them. But yes. And so I guess I – my issue is that our culture rewards them and makes it that the optimal outcome, and we should stop listening yeah, to that is bad, people. It's, I, like, I think things are slowly changing on that. Like more and more people are are listening to syntax. It seems, yeah, are listening <laughs> to syntax. Are getting frustrated by by like rallying calls around around like I don't know. I, I'm not even sure how you put it, but like basically dunking on people <laughs> of like a witty response to something that seems really good. But you know, that isn't evidence. That's not, that shouldn't be compelling and debate style attacks aren't really very effective in, in like showing something is true. And I think slowly people are picking up on that, but I, don't I have hope any so. Data to prove I hope that. so. Yeah. I think one thing that we don't do well um, when it comes to this idea is we don't give people uh, easy outs in saying, uh, they're wrong. Yeah. Like po- politicians is, is an easy way to go about it where people get like, where it should not be a talking point that someone changed yes, their mind from I the totally opinion agree. they hold 15 years ago. And, <sighs> and that's something that's like, well, they flipped and it's like, well, I hope they've changed their mind on something in 15 years. I hope they've been presented with new, new evidence and new data that causes them to reevaluate. And I agree with you, Nando, on that point that we really don't, um, give features that, uh, that really inspire people to want to publicly go back on what they said or publicly change their mind. But I'd argue that's a symptom of our obsession with like ideology and dogmatism that we, we look for people yeah. who believe in things and like believing in things is not very useful. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't blindly believe in anything. Right. You should be assessing the merits of its truth at all times. Yes. And, um, we really, this is, uh, Nate Silver's whole like hedgehog versus sharks yeah, or whatever. The fox, I think. Um, and yes, and I mean, we're never going to get past that because I, I shouldn't say never. We're very far from getting past that because a lot of people define themselves by their ideology. And like, you should ideally be defining yourself by the fact that you don't have an ideology. That's what you would want. Like, you are open to new evidence to disprove anything you believe. But we're, I mean, we're miles away from that. I, I do think this could open up just in a, a huge can of worms. So maybe, well, but so I'll say it anyway. <laughs> but you no, know, I, th- I think it's. Uh... <laughs> I think it's difficult because obviously, you know, when we talk about I, – I, I just wouldn't push so far to say that ideology and dogmatism and really believing in something past what you can, like, prove um, is, is always futile. I mean, I think of, like – you know, you think of – the one that c- comes to mind is, like, John McCain believing in, like, America is, like, you know, not something he's going to be constantly reevaluating when he's trapped in, like, a POW camp in, in, in Vietnam and just getting beaten and stuff like that. And that's not a – you know – the, the ability to purely reevaluate and reassess like any kind of beliefs and values all the time also comes at a cost uh, at times. And so obviously there are situations where that reassessment is is um, valuable and it's worth the trade-off. But in situations where you can't, you know, you can't, we can't have a president who's always reevaluating what the role of, of, uh, of like America is broadly in every little decision he makes, if that makes sense. So like I, I just think that to go, I'm kind of rambling now. Maybe we should just cut this off. But my point, yeah, 
edit out that last part for me where I just start, you know, really, really I'm rambling. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. It would not be the syntact way. I actually have a lot of thoughts on that, but I, I think that they are, they rapidly get into like minutes and minutes of content. And so I won't. My general thought is that if you something. really believe, if you really believe that something's true, then you should be open to considering like any evidence because in your belief, it's like, well, I, if I know I'm right somehow, then I'll be able to show how this evidence doesn't apply or like, well, I think that's already the wrong approach because if you approach it as like disproving the evidence, no, yeah, dis- no, dis- it's not disproving the evidence, but I guess what I should say is you should be open to hearing any argument yeah, because you don't expect there to be convincing. And, and so, like, a basic example is like, I believe that gravity pulls me back to Earth. And like, if someone is going to tell me that like, gravity actually pushes me away from Earth, I will happily listen to what they say. And if they can, and maybe they'll change my mind, but like, I don't want to have to listen though, because so I used to think about that too, where it's like you should be open to every single case against you, but you can't because you just don't have time. Like there's right. a cost. To okay, maybe not happy. You. you don't really. But like, yes. In principle, there's I have nothing against entertaining the argument other than the opportunity cost of what I might be doing otherwise. Yeah. I'm with and you. and you will be paralyzed and ultimately do absolutely nothing in life if you're constantly reassessing uh, whether or not gravity is real. You're like, well, I'm I'm pretty sure that I believe gravity exists, but can't I need be to make sure that I reassess it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't be certain. And, and then and we can move like on to the belief point, that, useless. like, I need to eat to survive. I'll think about that once yeah. I've been certain about it. <laughs> you, you have to make these leaps to just live to prove and, gravity. and take action in any, in any sense. It is, it is so. totally true. There's yeah, no, that, that's true. In macro views, I think that what we're saying is, is much more applicable. That, yeah. that for, like, big picture things, when you're a person who has control over the big picture, or even you, like, vote on people who have control over the big picture, you should be thinking. Yeah, I guess I took that a little little more philosophically. No, I'm, I'm with to, you, though. I think extreme. that's pretty reasonable. Okay, we should wrap it up, though. This has been pretty long. Yeah, let's do yeah, it. This is a good one. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, as we alluded to last podcast, we've got two articles coming out. We still won't tell you what what uh, Matt is writing about. It's a secret. <laughs> And I think I told you last time what I'm writing about, which now I'm blanking on. You did. Oh, yeah. Gross national happiness. Um, and so hopefully those two come out in the next couple of weeks. And I have a couple other things. Anything else you guys want to say before we go? I'd like to thank all our sponsors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no comment. Okay. All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye-bye.